Welcome to Awoke in the Morning. Body by Nayira Wahid. Welcome back to Awoke in the Morning. I'm your host, Jasmine B. We took a bit of a small break to adjust to the political climate and to take some holiday time. I went home to see my family and to be with them for the Thanksgiving holiday. And now we're back in action for the final two episodes of our first season. I'm so excited. Uh, If you're just now tuning in to listen to the podcast, thank you. Thank you for joining us. I urge you to go back to the very beginning and listen to our journey to now. We've had a lot of great interviews with incredible artists, and especially in the Black Boy Fly series, which will be continued in our Black Girl Fly series in the upcoming season. I can't wait to have conversations with female artistic movers and shakers of color and share them with you. This episode, we have a lot to cover, so let's jump right in. By now, we know that Donald Trump is the president-elect and that Mike Pence is the VP-elect. And because of this, I made an appointment to get an IUD prior to the inauguration. Thanks, Obamacare and Planned Parenthood. It is birth control that outlasts the presidency. I think mine lasts up to five years. Um, And as I've learned from the lovely ladies at Planned Parenthood, in most cases, your installation of an IUD can be free of charge, at least in the state of New York, thanks to a grant given to Planned Parenthood. So take control of your body because it's your choice. It's your life. It's not your obligation to have children or even to want to have children. And it's totally your choice if you want to or not. This is a step that I'm taking, and since I was uneducated on the possibilities of getting the IUD and the convenience and basically the freeness of it all, I knew it was important to share it on the podcast. So take the information how you will. This leads me to my second point. 
the safety pin discussion. Okay, this is coming a little late, so forgive me if you've already had this discussion, but I felt like it was important to say this. Um, I was not so much invited to a secret Facebook group as involuntary. Um, what am I trying to say? Oh, I was involuntarily added after the election results went up. Uh, while at first I was so glad to see a group of self-described progressives banding together to support each other in a moment of political defeat, what I started noticing made me recall Lorraine Hansberry's warning to liberals at her 1964 speech after the Stalin. Uh, look it up if you have not uh, listened to it. It is fantastic. But in this Facebook group, women of privilege posted photos of themselves with people of color or their families with minority groups and marginalized people. I think the photo that made me leave the group was a photo of a white woman and her um, newfound African Uber driver. Her caption read something like, my new best friend, we're not the same and yet we are. And while her statement may have been true, her post ruffled me. Why was it important to take photos with her Uber driver and post them to Facebook? Okay, I understand if maybe you liked him and you want to take a picture, but like, why is that something that you want to post to this group? Just a day earlier, I had encountered my own Uber driver from Cameroon, and we had an in-depth, incredible conversation, one that I really needed and needed to connect with, and it seemed like he did feel the same. It was like the day after the election. Um, but at the end of the ride, I didn't take a selfie and post it on the internet. <laughs> that conversation was between he and I. And I did not need to share it for any kind of validation from like-minded individuals in a secret group, which is what I kind of felt like her post was about. Uh, what bothered me about that post was what bothers me about the safety pins. In theory and idea, the pins are incredible. They're a great idea. Uh, they can mean great things. They can mean, you can come to me. I am an ally. I stand with you. But what I see and what I saw in those secret Facebook groups was that the pin was helping those who should be serving as allies boost their own selves. Being an ally doesn't mean advertising yourself as such, just to be seen as a better person. It means taking action. So if your safety pin comes with donations to institutions and activist groups that are doing work, or it means calling your local government officials, or it means standing with us on the front lines, or if it means protesting the DAPL with your presence, or any form of actual activism, if it means standing with Black Lives Matter, if it means standing with our LGBT community, if it means standing with any marginalized group in action, in monetary value, in donations, in speaking out, then fantastic. But if you're just wearing it to be seen as progressive, please do not bother. So now let's move on to something a little more in line with why I began the podcast in the first place. Kanye West. I know that sounds silly, but hear me out. Kanye has recently been admitted to the hospital after canceling his St. Pablo tour and going on multiple onstage rants following the high-profile Paris robbery of his wife and the anniversary of his mother's death. Now, I have been a Kanye fan for as long as I can remember. It's actually how I started a friendship with my classmate, Brandon. Um, but what I'm about to say uh, yeah, is said with love and much thought. 
for as long as I can remember, um, as long as I've been a fan, I have seen my dad and Kanye's behavior. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I know something is going on with Kanye's mental health. If he is bipolar, um, his erratic behavior, his ups and downs, his creative genius, his grandiose statements, they make a lot of sense. So when I see other people of color talking shit about Kanye's decision to end his tour and take care of himself, I bristle. I bristle because I only wish that my father would have done his version of that. I wish that he had taken time off to get help. I wish that he had talked to someone, admitted something was wrong, let someone take him to the hospital before what happened happened. I wish that he had he had, had the wherewithal to put whatever professional pressures he had on hold and take care of himself. Now, I started this podcast to open up issues that people of color usually don't talk about, mental health being one of them. So seeing Kanye take time to take care of himself and taking time away from being what people call, oh, that's just crazy Kanye, is refreshing and brave. And I'm proud of him. Now, this does not mean that I like his statements about Donald Trump. Um, It doesn't mean that at all. But I don't have to like what he said to respect his decision to involve in self-care. So this is also why I take breaks from the podcast. Some people dive into work when they encounter stress, and usually I do the same thing. But since I am responsible now for the ears and feelings of those who listen to this podcast, I first must attend to my own personal health and wellness, including my mental health. There is no shame in taking moments to recuperate, to come back to yourself, and no shame in asking for help and getting help. You have only one life. Treasure it and treat yourself well. That means if you have to take a break, you have to take a break. If you want to take a break, you probably should take a break. Take care of yourself. So some of the things that I like to do when I take time to myself, um, one of them is journaling. I like to get a really nice pen and a clean page. Uh, I prefer moleskins, but that's because I'm a picky Capricorn. Um, And I just like to free write. Sometimes in my early morning commutes to teach, that's what I'm doing instead of reading. I'm free writing. Sometimes the things that I write don't make sense or are repetitive or are just a mess, but there's magic in the madness and it doesn't have to make sense. It's free writing. I'm clearing out. Speaking of clearing out, I also like to do the Alexander method to clear my mind. For those who don't practice it or don't know what it is, uh, try getting a yoga mat or a blanket or a towel um, and putting on some nice warm socks, especially in this fall and winter weather, and a sweater and laying down with the back of your head on a small book. Try and relax your whole body by imagining that you're sinking into sand and kindly, kindly tell the parts of your body to release any tension that you're holding. A lot of held tension in unexpected places pops up. Back of the neck, abdomen, shoulders, even your butt and calves. I hold a lot of tension in my hip flexors. Think of those areas that feel tight and kindly ask them to release. Kindly ask them. Breathe. Take your time. I also like to write podcast scripts when I'm stressed or read new books. I have a whole collection of books that I've gotten read in the last couple months. Or sometimes when I'm really tired, I curl up in my bed and I turn on a favorite comedy special, maybe one that I've seen a million times uh, on Netflix or HBO now, 
and I pop a huge bag of popcorn and I put on my glasses and just pretend I have no responsibilities and pretend is a real thing. I pretend. Uh, That is my favorite thing. So if you get stressed in an office or workplace, uh, since you can't do any of the things that I've just said, try running warm water over your wrists in the bathroom or if you prefer cool water. That always calms me down. And if all else fails, a good piece of theater at the end of the day can always take me away. Which leads me to my next segment of this reflection episode. Not a moment, it's the movement. Theater and movies. I hope you like that title. I thought about it. Well, technically, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda thought about it. (laughs) In this segment, I will recommend some ongoing pieces of theater that I've been lucky enough to participate in and or see. And the first of this segment shall be The Death of the Last Black Man in the Whole Entire World. Suzanne Laurie Parks has been a favorite of mine since I randomly picked up copies of Venus and Top Dog Underdog at the drama bookshop in undergrad. And after reading uh, these books on the plane ride back to Ohio, I knew that I'd stumbled upon a unique and incredible voice. But I never foresaw what seeing her latest work, The Death of the Last Black Man in the Whole Entire World, would do to me and for me. I remember reading the beginning of the play for a self-tape I had to submit to Telsey. I'd gotten the appointment in the weeks after my father's passing, and adding to the fog of my present state, I could barely understand what Suzanne had written. (laughs) Just a bunch of words, it seemed. After my third read-through of the text, I started to make my own story, since I still couldn't understand. I had to read it out loud, of course, but damn, damn, it was still a mystery. I tried my best, but I knew that a tape could not do a damn thing. I'd have to be in the room with others, saying it out loud, hearing it, to understand. Cut to months later, November 18th, and my friend Austin invites me to see the show last minute. A friend of his is unavailable to go, and so could I. Oh, hell yes. By then, I'd heard so many great things about the show via The Times and various Facebook ads, and I was beginning to wonder why so many of the ads on my Facebook uh, were of that show until I realized that Zuckerberg's people probably figured out how much I stand for black people in our art, so then it all made sense. Um, So even though I'd be coming from a 12-hour workday in Queens and had not so conveniently left my wallet at home, I said yes. I am so glad that I said yes. That play is needed right now. The visual storytelling, the spoken weave of tales and sayings, the impromptu scenes of mirth, movement, tragedy, familiar images of black tragedy and triumph, they all came together, come together to arrest the senses. They leave you with questions, make you question the understanding of black humanity as what it really simply is, humanity. So my only regret in seeing that show is that I did not see it in any of the old neighborhoods in which I, in coming to adulthood, felt alone. In the middle of Dayton, Ohio, or Stone Mountain, Georgia, or even Sherman Oaks, California, I wish that it had been shown in the corners of the world, the little pockets with less diverse populations than New York, New York. Those places that the world needs light or needs diversity. So if you can spare the $30 to $35 and have a night available, please, please take time to check out the run of Suzanne Laurie Park's The Death of the Last Black Man in the Whole Entire World at the Perishing Square Signature Theater on 42nd and 10th. Okay, next, Moonlight. 
This is what I've been saying about Moonlight since seeing it a few weeks ago. (sighs) I have never seen men of color portrayed or written with such nuance and reality on screen. Humanity, vulnerability, growth, specificity. I've never seen that done so well on screen. The only time that I've seen representations of such men have been in scene study class at Juilliard, close up, or in my real life. In the conversations that I have here, or on the air, or with the stars of the Black Boy Fly series, or the husbands of the Black Love series. I mean, part of the reason why I started that series is because I saw a lack in those kinds of portrayals of men of color. But Moonlight has given me hope. If you haven't seen it yet, it's now playing in theaters across the country. It is a film that I'm certain that I will be purchasing to own once it's available. Next, the Netflix series Chewing Gum. Chewing Gum is a TV series written, produced, and starring Michaela Cole. Michaela is a Ghanaian-British playwright, actor, and poet. Her 2012 play Chewing Gum Dreams is the basis for the television show. She reminds me a lot of Issa Rae with an unapologetically awkward and odd comic twist. (laughs) Her character Tracy is a 24-year-old virgin living at home with her staunchly religious mother and grown-up sister, stuck in a six-year relationship with a man who shows no desire in ending her virginal streak or letting her, as her friend's advisor to do, sit on his face. Um, It is hilarious, raunchy, um, funny, caught me off guard in so many times. It's so smart, and it's um, black girl magic all over it. I laughed so hard once that seltzer came out of my nose. Uh, Chewing Gum is available on Netflix, and its first season runs six 30-minute episodes. It's been renewed for season two, so I can't wait for season two to come out. So you have time to catch up before uh, that hits your screens. So now for some reading. I have recently started labeling all photos, all Instagram photos, of the books that I'm reading with the hashtag, hashtag Black Girl Book Club. It works because I've been uh, recently on a reading kick of books that uplift, educate, and highlight black writers and stories of color. Recently, I have really enjoyed Homegoing, The New Jim Crow, Things Fall Apart, uh, Underground Railroad, and I recently uh, started, well, you know what, I'm I'm almost done. I read pretty fast. Um, The new novel by Zadie Smith, Swing Time. But in this new segment, which I'm also calling Black Girl Book Club, I'd love to highlight Wesley Lowry's They Can't Kill Us All, Ferguson, Baltimore, and a New Era in America's Racial Justice Movement. Wesley Lowry was recently a guest on The Daily Show, and it was his interview with Trevor Noah that made me seek out his book. They Can't Kill Us All tells Lowry's version of the behind the scenes of what is known most publicly as the Black Lives Matter movement, which sparked with the death of Trayvon Martin and really truly began in Ferguson with the death of Michael Brown. His weaving together of his own personal journey through the protests, activist meetings, rallies, and trail of black death and tragedy, and the profiles on separate activists, and around-the-clock videos of black death on national television and computer screens, um especially those of Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, Eric Gardner, and his last gasp and breaths and words, I can't breathe, and the murder and attempting framing of Walter Scott in South Carolina, is a tale that feels like it should be taught 
in classrooms. I use the word tale, but it's not the appropriate term for what this book is. It's history. It's what has literally been happening around us for the past few years, or I should say hundreds of years, out in the open, and what has been happening under the nose of the white liberal gaze for years. It is an incredibly important book, but does not carry itself as such. It is just really damn good writing, really good reporting. So if you would like to check out this book, I bought it on Amazon, but I recently saw it in Barnes and Noble, so you can get it anywhere, I'm pretty sure. Um, if you check out our Instagram at Awoke in the Morning, you can see a photo of our first Black Girl Book Club recommendation, uh, They Can't Kill Us All, by Wesley Lowry. His name is spelled W-E-S-L-E-Y space L-O-W-R-E-Y. Once again, the book is called They Can't Kill Us All, Ferguson, Baltimore, and a New Era in America's Racial Justice Movement. And now for my final reflection. Um, Way back in the day, I called this uh, what I want to reflect on this week, (laughs) but I still haven't changed it, and I probably should. (laughs) Uh, So I would personally like to reflect on something that um, I think a lot of people deal with, but rarely gets really talked about, and that's balancing your life as an artist and a person. So I have been out of grad school for almost two years, more like a year and a half. And as a um, artist who does not have funding and does not have a benefactor or a rich family, I, of course, have to have a day job. Um, This podcast is a labor of love. Nobody gets paid for it. do it all in my own time. And the people that come in, come in with open hearts and are so wonderful to share, but nobody gets really compensated unless you count uh, meals or coffee or giant hugs. Um, But, you know, I pay for everything out of my own pocket. And so this is not my day job. Teaching is my day job. Um, And so I teach three days a week all the way out in Queens. It takes me about two hours to get there, two hours to get back, um, uh, you know, using the MTA. If I took an Uber, it's like 50 to $60, takes half an hour. Sometimes you really just can't do that Uber though. Uh, So I teach out there three days a week um, and I teach from like 7.30 in the morning to three o'clock. And when I took the position, I took it mainly because I am a teaching artist and I love teaching students and I love um, impacting somebody's life in a good way and sharing what I love with people that are coming up. And I also loved, to be honest, the salary. I was like, oh, great. I can only work three days a week and I will make um, more than I've made before. But um, as many of you who are teachers may know that when you're done, like the teaching doesn't end. Uh, The responsibility doesn't end. There are lesson plans. You're thinking about these living human beings that are um, under your tutelage that are people that you're hoping to form and to teach and love in a way. Um, and so there are days where I'll find myself like stressed out about something that a student is not getting. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's Thursday. I'm not even supposed to be there. You know, it never really leaves you. Uh, and so I also, aside from having this day job, audition and have callbacks and do all of that on the side. 
Um, well, see, you heard that on the side. I don't do it on the side. That is my main profession. But because I'm so busy with teaching, I feel like currently that the acting that I'm doing is on the side. Um, that is how my schedule feels. I feel like, well, three days out of the week, I'm definitely doing this real person job. And then in the afternoons of those three days and the other two days I have off, I'm auditioning. But that's not the way that it goes. There are times where I have to leave in my lunch break, go to Manhattan and come back to Queens in two hours and barely make it or don't um, for an important audition or a callback, which I am so, so grateful to have. But it always leaves me with this feeling of I am stretched thin. I cannot give 100% in everything that I do. And the thing that I went to school for, for many, many years, is acting. I did not go to school to become a teacher. And I respect teachers so much. I mean, I was in love with a teacher for a long time. Many of my old friends are teachers. I see what teachers do. I am doing it now. I see how much work goes into it and how much reward or not comes out of it. Um, but every couple of days, I write the same thing down in my notebook, which is that I am not a teacher um, and that my heart is still in performing. And, you know, I, I don't let that come into the classroom. I come into the classroom and I bring everything that I love and have fun with the kids. And most of the time we're having a great time. They're, you know, having a blast rapping to Shakespeare or, um, asking me about my personal life way too much <laughs> or, um, you know, writing their own poetry or performing, you know, and auditioning for this film that we're doing. But, um, if I had it my way, I would be working on my craft all the time. And this brings me to this question. Why is it so difficult for someone in a creative uh, pursuit to pursue it? Why is our nation set up or a society set up in such a way that if, even if I trained to do this very specific thing at the highest schools of all, that... Um, there is not a chance for me to really do it if I don't sacrifice everything else. Where is the balance? Where is the balance between putting food on the table and paying your student loans and paying your rent and your bills on time and also auditioning five times a week or more and learning all these lines and, and going in and doing a great job and giving 100% and doing the thing that you trained and loved to do? Can they not coexist? This is something that I've been juggling for quite some time. And I have to be honest with you, I do not know what the answer is. I don't know. I struggle with it. I'm very tired. I mean, uh, this double life is, is a lot. I saw a photograph of me uh, taken in my headshots and I've never seen my face so tired. I was like, wow, I look like I aged um, like eight years <laughs> since starting. And I, the other day I came home from work. Um, I believe I came home on a Wednesday. So I teach Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I came home from work on Wednesday. And, you know, by that time I had been up for a long time. And I think I sat down on my bed at like 6.20. And I just went to sleep and didn't wake up until the next morning. I was so tired. Um, and I, I really didn't like that. Because I had things to do. I had lines to memorize. I had people to talk to. I had emails to send back. 
I had things that I wanted to do. I wanted to keep up with my life, and yet I was so drained that all I could do was sleep. And if you know me, you know that I am a very hard worker and that I don't just succumb to naps whenever, but um, that was very needed. I needed to take care of myself. And this is something that I'm really, really trying to figure out. It's, um, how do you have a grown-up life where you don't ask your parents for anything, where you don't ask your friends for anything, where you figure everything out on your own and not have pure exhaustion? How do you do the thing that you love to do and not, um, I don't know, not do another thing that has you gives up yourself? Like, how do you not, I think that's what I'm trying to say. How do you not give up yourself and be an adult at the same time? Maybe being an adult is overrated. Maybe this, you should have it figured out by the time you're 30 thing is not real. Um, I'm approaching my 28th birthday. And I think that a lot of times I think, you know, I have to have my shit together. I have to. Because um, right now it's just me and my mom and my 18-year-old brother. And he's the one who needs the help now. Now it's his turn. And I'm the one who has to be there to help him. Um, as well as my mom. But like, you know, there's a sense of responsibility. And so you cannot have responsibility for someone that you love in your family and not have any responsibility for yourself. So because these two things that I'm doing, teaching and this artistic life, keep butting heads schedule-wise, um, you know, administration is starting to, you know, both sides of the administration of both worlds are butting heads um, time-wise. And, and honestly, like pieces of myself go missing when I try to give 100% to both. Um, so my reflection is what do I do? What do I choose? I cannot choose the lesser life, whatever that is, because we only have one. So what is the choice? I say this not to air my life on the air, uh, but to give maybe someone out there an uh, opportunity to see that they're not the only ones going through it um, and that everybody has questions and even the person who looks like they really have it together um, may not. You know, I asked my mom, um, she's like 48, late birthday, happy birthday, mom. Um, and she uh, was telling me about having it all figured out. And she's like, you know, I don't. And I was like, but you're, you're the, the quintessential adult to me. You have everything. You know, you have like the nice car, the home, you have the, the life, you make a salary, you've built everything for us. Like I've never known you not have your shit together. And she's like, oh, I'm still figuring it out. I'm 48 and I'm still trying to figure it out. And that for me gave me hope and it made me a little sad at the same time, <laughs> but it gave me hope that there wasn't a deadline to figuring this shit out. And yeah, my mom has had to take care of me since she was 20, so she's had to figure some things out uh, faster than others. But if she's still figuring it out, and I think that she's got everything together, but she's still figuring things out at 48, well, then it's okay that I still have these questions at 28 and that other people have questions at 38 and that people have questions at 18 
and eight. <laughs> you know, it's okay. It's okay to still have these questions and to be open about them and to admit that you, you don't know what the hell you're doing, but you're just trying. And I think that the most important thing that you do, the most valuable thing you can do is to try. So that's my reflection for this week. Well, thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Awoke in the Morning. Uh, I'm your host, Jasmine B. And um, I guess I'll see you for the final episodes in the weeks upcoming. Stay woke. Protect your magic. Love yourselves. Take time for yourself. And I'll see you next week. Love you. Bye.